If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 1, uh, we're going to close out chapter 1 of uh, this book of Philippians, and hopefully it'll be a little shorter because I went a little long um, with <laughs> the quarterly update, but Philippians uh, chapter 1, we've been in this study uh, through the book of Philippians, and we've uh, entitled it Finding Joy right where you are. We've seen that Paul and Philippi had this unique bond together, really all centered around making Jesus known with their lives, and Paul kind of instilling that into the church of Philippi. And so this morning, I want to notice how to stand when it may feel like you want to fade away, how to stand when it feels like, when you feel like fading away. We've seen that uh, we are a family of God. If we're in Christ, we're, we're a family of God. We've seen that on this journey together through, through this book, we've seen that we should, en- should enjoy fellowship because of the gospel of Christ that's within us. We've seen that we're servants uh, for the furtherance of the gospel, and that's uh, supposed to be our mindset, for the furtherance of the gospel. And this morning, we'll essentially see how we're uh, soldiers in defense of the gospel. We were, uh, we're for the furtherance of the gospel, but this morning we're soldiers in defense of the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel here, uh, this uh, chapter, the end of this chapter will tell us the faith of the gospel. And that is essentially this. It's the, divine, it's the body of divine truth that God has given to the church. It's, it's the body of divine truth that God has actually given to the church. That God has given us, the, given us faith because of the gospel. The only reason that we have faith at all is because of the gospel. And so this faith refers not to our act of believing, but what we actually believe upon. The gospel. That, that, that is truly the faith of the gospel. And so Paul will emphasize the faith of the gospel. And it's not your act of believing. It is the belief in which you have. The purpose in which we live. The reason in which we have hope even today. That should be everything. Jude called it this way. The faith which was once delivered to the saints. That faith. That's the faith, the faith of the gospel. And so Paul, we know Paul lived this light. Paul was passionate about the faith of the gospel, but he was also passionate about commissioning that faith of the gospel to others. And that's what we see here with Paul in in the church of Philippi. We see that passion, not just to live out the faith of the gospel of Paul, but to commission it to the church of Philippi. We know that Paul has not seen the church of Philippi for probably around 10 years. Uh, We know that uh, Paul has been dealing with conflicts in Rome. We saw that last week. We know that uh, if you read Paul's other letters, that Paul is actively dealing with a conflict in other churches. And so Paul is compelled here to write to the church of Philippi, in essence, how to stand when you feel like it'd be easier to fade into the distance. How to stand, you could say it this way, how to continue... How to continue to practice what you believe. How to continue to practice what you believe. You could say it this way. Let your behavior back your beliefs. And so let me ask you this morning. Are we compelled to stand in Christ for the faith of the gospel? Uh, Do we let our behavior back our beliefs? Do we? 
Let's continue to practice what we believe. You know, I'm not the best of speakers, but uh, throughout my 10 years in ministry, I've been given a couple opportunities to go speak in different places. And one place I was given an opportunity to speak was a small university, a small college. They called it a university. It was really a college, but uh, it wasn't very big. But I was given the opportunity to, to, to speak there. And when I got the call, uh, they said, hey, you can speak about God, but you can speak about God in a general sense. Like, don't be specific on one belief system. They knew I was a youth pastor at the time, and so they said, you can speak to God at a general sense. Just don't uh, speak to essentially what they were saying without saying it was don't mention Jesus. Just speak about God in, in essence. God, God loves you. God saves but what, whatever, uh, but not in a specific sense. And I remember I really wanted to go because it would be cool, like a good uh, Instagram picture or something up there speaking at a college. But I really wanted to go, but I was struggling because I wanted to go, but I'm also commissioned to preach the gospel, and, and the gospel is Jesus, and, and I was commissioned to that, so I remember I was struggling with it, and I finally said, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, and I remember I went up there on stage, and I preached the best motivational message that I could, and it was how Jesus changed my life, and how Jesus put me on a mission. I just kept saying Jesus over and over again, and I remember as I walked onto the stage, I was fearful of who would talk to me when I walked off of the stage, because I essentially was breaking their, their rules, but keeping somebody else's rules, right? Uh, and so I remember I, I thought I would be fearful when I walked up the stage, but I remember walking up the stage with such peace. Because I stayed faithful to, to the mission in which God had, had called me to. I remember even being encouraged that stu other stu students would walk up to me and they would say, hey, I'm on that same mission. Hey, thanks for the boldness. Hey, I know how they are here. Or, hey, I want to be on that mission too. How does that, how does that work? And I was overwhelmingly uh, pleased with the results. But we, we see the reality that there's a sense that we need to stand for the faith of the gospel. Paul shows the church of Philippi, they're a faithful church, but he says this essence, hey, you need to make sure we stand for the faith of the gospel. It's the most important thing that we stand for the faith of the gospel. The reality is we live in a world where people are watching Christians, and Paul understood that this life is no playground for Paul. This life is a battleground for Paul. And so Paul says, hey, this is how, in a way, you should conduct yourselves, how you should behave worthy of the gospel of Christ in your life. Here's how you stand when you feel like fading. And so let's break it down uh, this morning. Verse 27 says this, only let your conversation, let your conduct, let how you behave be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to you or I see you uh, or I may be absent, I may hear of your affairs and that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversities, which is of them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake and having the same conflict which, I, which you saw in me and now here is in me." This morning, I want to see four qualities to stand for God when it feels like it'd be easier to fade. Four qualities to be able to enable us to stand for God or stand in Christ. The first one is this, the quality of being consistent. The quality of being consistent. You could say it this way, consistency in your faith will help you stand when you feel like it'd be easier to fade. Consistency. It says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This word only is the word that, that brings attention to one thing. 
He says, this is, the, this is the most important thing for you to do in your life. What? Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Let how you behave be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word, let your conduct, it's talking about your political affiliation. Not how we would view it. Are you Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or in between? Or, or are you just off the rail? What are you? It's not talking about that. Not political affiliation. How we as Americans would view it. It's literally talking about behave yourself as a good citizen. In a way it's saying do what you're supposed to do as a citizen. Philippi of course is a Roman colony. And he's not saying hey behave yourself as a good Roman citizen. Although there's plenty of biblical principles on that. Romans will say hey the Bibles are a final authority. That's what you follow above all else. But he gives us, he ordains government authority and parental authorities for us to follow. As long as it doesn't contradict the Bible right. He gives us those uh, those perspectives, those principles. But in Philippians 3 that we'll see here in a couple couple weeks, Paul will actually remind Philippi that they're not citizens of Rome, they're citizens of heaven. And so what's he saying? Behave yourself uh, like you're a citizen of heaven. Represent the kingdom of God well, is essentially what he's calling us to do. And so there's this plea to behave yourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God. He's saying this, have a desire to walk worthy of the calling. Have a desire to walk worthy of the calling that God has set you off on. Following after Christ, living a life of Christ. Not because you have to, but because you want to. But because of God's love for you and how God has orchestrated and and saved you and given you purpose, you want to live in that light. This is the conduct worthy of the gospel, being consistent. Colossians 1.13 says it this way, He, being Jesus, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what Christ has done. And so he says, be consistent to, to a God who would do that for you. Be consistent. Paul calls us to be consistent and behave as good citizens of the kingdom of God because consistency will help us stand for God when we feel like it'd be easier to fade off into the distance. You could say it this way, represent the gospel that's changed your life and be faithful to it. Represent the gospel that you claim has changed your life and be faithful to it. Growing up, have you ever had a parent or maybe your parent that said that, that said this, you go to a place and your parent or you will say, represent me well, essentially, behave yourself. I got it this way. You are Burkett, remember it, right? That's who you are because that, that's what you represent. Your name's going to last a whole lot longer. Even here, coming here, uh, I've had people talk to me and, hey, I, you knew your grandma. Hey, I knew your uncle. Hey, I knew. Why? Be- from my last name because it lives on. In youth ministry, I did almost a decade of youth ministry, and I had my fair share of saying something similar. Remember who you represent. God, the church, me, represent it well, right? I remember one time I took... One fall, I took a group of around 70 students to Washington, D.C. for like a 20-hour trip, which was a terrible idea. We left after school on Friday, and so we load the buses about 4.30. We're three hours from D.C., and a bus, we're like 18 hours from D.C., right, because something's going to break down. We stop, for, we stop for food, and we're making our way. And so we finally get to this nice hotel, which was mistake number two, a nice hotel, uh, with 75 students or whatever and a few leaders. Then we get to this nice hotel, and we, get, we give the pitch. It's 9 p.m. by now. We're like, hey, you represent me. You represent God, you represent this church, you represent this youth group, they know your church, they know exactly what rooms we're in. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, have a little powwow here. We're... 
Made my wife jump, did that on purpose. Uh, we're going to have a little powwow here. She jumped a mile. Uh, it's like a Holy Spirit moving in this place. <laughs> we're going we're going to, uh, you know, the awkward silence, right? Uh, so go to your rooms, and that's what you're going to do. And I don't care how late you stay up, what you do in the room, stay in your rooms. That was it. So, of course, we're doing room checks. I get to my last room. It's probably 1130 by now. And juniors and seniors, a couple of juniors and seniors, I get in there. It's supposed to be four. There's three guys. Hey, where's the fourth one? They start laughing. You know how teens do. And I'm looking everywhere in the shower, in the closet, under the bed, all these places. Can't find him. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. I open the door. Here he is, and he takes off running, screaming, 1130 at night, right? And waking up the whole place, and for the next 45 minutes, I'm chasing him throughout the hotel because he will, and he's, his goal is to wake up the whole hotel. It's a junior in high school. Needless to say, we did not go back to that hotel. We were not back, invited back to that hotel because of that instance. He also was not invited back on a trip because of that instance. But I remember I was so embarrassed because, because of how it left a mark. Uh, on our youth group, on our church, on myself, pridefully, honestly. Uh, but here's the reality. We know that it doesn't take long for an inconsistent life to ruin any reputa rep uh, rep reputation that God has us to make. An inconsistent life will, will ruin people's perspective, but it will also ruin the mission that God has called us on. And so Paul calls Philippi to a, con a life of consistency. Hey, be consistent. Live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel that has changed your life. You could say it this way. Paul says, let your practice match your proclamation. Let your practice match your pro proclamation. John the Baptist would say it this way. He says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. That if you say you've repented, prove it by how you live your life. Not that you may receive glory, but that Christ may be revealed through your life. The reality is a follower of Jesus should not live below their belief system. Shouldn't live below it. They, they should live at their belief system. Their beliefs should motivate everything that they do. Someone once wrote this. He says, you're writing a gospel, a chapter a day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful and true. And so what is the gospel according to you? What is the gospel according to you? The Hindu leader Gandhi famously wrote about Christians and Christianity. He says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He said, be faithful, be consistent to the gospel that has changed your life. Behave yourself worthy of the gospel of Christ. That, that the, the greatest sermon is not one you speak, it's one you live. And one of the greatest qualities to stand when it feels like it'd be easier to fade is a life of consistency. And a life of consistency is a life of obedience to God. You say, how do I live a consistent life? Live obedient to his word. You could ask yourself in forms of the gospel. Uh, are, are, you, are you living worthy of the gospel of Christ? What's the gospel? God's love. Christ's agape love for us. Do you love? God loved the world. Do you? Say the, the gospel spews grace. Are you a grace-filled person? Not willing that any should perish. Uh, unmerited favor. Uh, the gospel unleashes mercy. Are you a person of mercy? The gospel's truth. Are you a truthful person? The first quality is a life of consistency. Secondly, we see this, the quality of being together. You can say it this way. Unity will help you stand for Christ when it feels like it'd be easier 
to fade. It says this, so whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs and that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together. Here's the word for the faith of the gospel. The reality is Paul didn't know if he would see Philippi again, but he knew that he wasn't the bond that produced the unity that Philippi needed. He, he says, hey, it's good to have unity, but he says, don't have unity at the expense of the gospel. He says, uh, um, he says this, consistency comes first, but then he calls us to stand fast. This word stand fast means hold your post. Traditionally, you would think of this as like a, a military person where they stand fast despite opposition. Uh, in, in our culture, you would maybe think of the tomb of the unknown soldier. I have a picture up here that no matter the elements that take place, uh, they're, they're standing fast. They're being faithful to what they're called to do. And so Paul says, stand fast, but it's best that you stand fast together. Stand fast, but it's best if you do it together. Have you ever played the uh, old uh, recess game, Red Rover, Red Rover? Right, maybe not uh, the younger crowds because it's absolutely dangerous. But if you've never played, you schoolyard pick and you have two sides. And on those two sides, uh, you all hold hands and one side will say to the other, Red Rover, Red Rover. And then usually it was the smallest person come over and that person will run at, at the velocity of speed. And they'll just be taking off as fast as they can to penetrate the holding of hands. And, and, and what would happen is when the impact was coming, what would you do? You would stand fast, Right. And you would strategically try to find the gap that had maybe the weakest link in it. And you would try to penetrate that gap. And what's Paul saying? He says, it's best if you're consistent yourself, but it's best if you're standing fast together with one mind, with one spirit. That word one spirit links to this word of, of having unity. It's an attitude of unity, that, that you're on the same page, standing fast together with one spirit as you strive for the faith of the gospel. Later in Philippians 4, Paul will address two women who are at odds with one another in the church. And he says, hey, hey, can, can you tell them to get on the same page? Can you tell them that they need to get along? Well, how? One mind for the faith of the gospel. Get it back to the reality of what it's all about. And he speaks to that term, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And here's the reality. Since the beginning of the church, the devil has wanted to cause division in the church. He did in Philippi, and he wants to do it right here. He wants to cause division. And so there's this call to stand fast together. You say, well, Travis, is bound to happen. There's a lot of opinions in this room right here. It's bound to happen. Well, what I've found is, Anytime two people are focused on themselves, there'll be issues. Anytime you have two people focused on themselves, there will be conflict. That's why Paul says, you know what's best? Be consistent and strive together uh, with one mind, that mind of unity towards what? The faith of the gospel. That, that if you're, you're selfish, of course there'll be conflict. But if, but if you're striving for the faith of the gospel, that's what truly unites us. That's the difference maker. That's what Paul's after. Be consistent in the faith, but be together, striving together for the faith of the gospel, living in an attitude uh, of the gospel that's changed your life and living that out above everything else. You say, Travis, that's too hard in today's church. It is hard in today's church because people are different. 
People don't like people. People, uh, people, did you see what she commented on Facebook? Did you see what she did? She doesn't like my style of this. She doesn't like that. She didn't talk to, they didn't talk to me today. They didn't ask me to sing in the praise team. Right? There's, there's all kinds of, of differences. And listen, here's the reality. Disunity will destroy any church. Paul, Paul says it. Disunity will destroy any church. But you know what else? Disunity will destroy what, what God wants to do in your life. And the reality is disunity will destroy what God wants to do in this place. It will absolutely destroy it. And so let me ask, what's more important to you? Your conflict or the faith of the gospel? What's more important? Your conflict, the differences that you may have, or, or the faith of the gospel and allowing God to meet and do what he wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in this place. So Paul says, come together for the sake of the gospel come together, that's how we should live, get on the same page. And the reality is we don't like to think about it often, but we're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war, and the devil wants to do nothing else but cause division and take you away from the potential that God has for your life and take this church away from the potential that God wants it to accomplish too. How does he do that? Disunity. Not being consistent, obviously, but also not being together. We need to be uh, together in all things. Uh, here's the reality. Here's what I do know. I don't know much, but I know Ephesians 4 is still true, that Christ is the foundation, but each body plays its part. It, it, it equips the church in a way that God intended for the church to, to, to be and to function. And here's what I know. I don't know a lot, but I know this. I need this word. I need the, the life-changing power of God's word. I need the Holy Spirit's work in my life. But you know what else I need? I need you. I, I need Caps. I need, I, I, I need, uh, I, I need Eric's. I need Stevens. I, I need, I need you. I, I need you to help me stand, stand fast, for the faith of the gospel of Christ. And here's what I believe. I believe you need me too. I believe we we need we need a church to stand fast and to and to stand fast together, striving together. I love that word, striving together. Striving together. We'll, we'll talk about one mind next week because it introduces in chapter two. But I love that word striving together because it means to struggle along with somebody. It's the Greek word where we get our English word athlete. And it says this mission that God has us on, it's going to take a team effort and it's going to take a lot of unity. Because, because we're in a battlefield. We're not on a playground. This is going to, he, he, he's essentially saying it this way. You can't do this alone. You can't do it alone. You, you need people. You need to be together. I love sports. I love a good sports story, especially when people have to face great adversities. One of my favorite movies is uh, Glory Road, where, where the, it's, it's the featuring the, the college, Texas Western College, and uh, they, they recruit despite race things that are going on there, and they go on to win the NCAA tournament, although they face unimaginable opposition. What were they doing? They, they were striving for something greater. They were doing it for, for other reasons, and they truly came together with so much unity despite the opposition that they faced. And may I say today that we're, we as a church are striving for something greater too. There's something greater at stake than just the conflicts that we face, and it's the faith of the gospel. It's going to share the gospel. And so Paul says, hey, we need to be together. 
striving together with one mind for the faith of the gospel. That it's okay if we don't have all the same roles. It's okay if that we have different opinions about politics or parenting or this or that. It's, it's okay. We should be with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Be consistent. Be together. Thirdly, be confident. Be confident. You could say this this way. Boldness will help you stand when you feel like fading. Boldness will help you live a consistent life. Thinking of this need to be together would probably tell you that there's probably some sort of opposition that may come your way. If we need to be together in unity, there may be problems at hand. You know, oftentimes this is what we don't like to think about in the American uh, church mindset. Because we don't really believe in this thing called unity to a certain point because we don't actually believe that the opposition will face us. And so we still live divided. So we still live in disunity. So we allow bitterness to reside in us. So we allow anger to reside in us. So we don't fix the pride in our life. So we don't fix the conflicts among fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because we don't actually believe that we need to be unified. But in verse 28, it tells us something interesting that I want to make mention of. It says this, not in any way be terrified by your adversities. This is not a possessive pronoun here. This is not talking about your adversities, although it'd be a great sermon to talk about just your adversities. I get a lot of motivation going on. It's not talking about just yours. It's talking about the adversities. It's talking about the body. And it's given an indication that we need each other to face the adversity in our life. It's a big picture that we need the church to do its part to attack the adversities that are taking place in our life. Why? Because it's proof to them, uh, to them it's proof of perdition, but to us of salvation that it is from God. Paul says, don't be alarmed by your enemies. You don't have to be scared of your enemies. Remember who Paul's going up against? Nero, right? Completely wicked guy. He, he was a, a disgrace to this human nature. He killed his way to the throne. It was rumored that he burned down 70% of his city just because he wanted to build a new one. He was the guy who would capture Christians and he would skin animals and wrap their hides in the Christian and unleash beasts to attack these Christians. And the beast would rip them apart simply for his enjoyment. He was a guy who would dip Christians in the oil and hang them for lights in his garden. He's a wicked guy. And Paul says in that context... He says, don't be in any way terrified by your adversities, by the adversities, by the attacks of the devil. This word terrified is only used once in the Bible, and it's the word that's used for a startled horse. In that day, if a horse was easily spooked, they were, they were claimed to be battle shy. Essentially what that meant was they weren't ready for battle. They weren't brave. And so Paul has given us an indication, don't be a battle shy believer. Be confident in what you believe. Be bold in what you believe and understand that opposition may come in your life. A 2 Timothy 3.12 holds true whenever it says, all that live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But he says, don't be scared of it. He also says, don't look for it either. He says, don't, don't, don't go searching for opposition, but don't be fearful of it. That on one hand, don't be scared to live out your faith because you don't want to suffer and you don't want to face conflict. But on the other hand, don't view suffering as a badge of honor either. That's not the point. You're missing the point of it all because to them it's perdition, but to you it's of salvation is what he says. What's he saying? He says, have confidence 
to stand for God like your stance for God is something that you actually mean. That, that as we stand up for Christ as believers and we're bold for Christ as believers and we profess the name of Christ and we're making gospel impacts around us, that it's actually a security that we believe that what we believe is actually true. It's actually proof to the world around us that what we say we believe, we actually believe because of the boldness in which we proclaim it. It says, so walk with confidence because on one hand, it's proof of our salvation, but on the other hand, it's, it's proof of perdition. That the gospel is amazing news, but in the gospel, it has some terrible news. Because to us, to the believer, the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's awesome news. Jesus saves and he'll save you. He'll save anyone. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. But in that, the gospel also condemns all those who do not believe that to, to hell. And that's heavy. That, that, that's, that's not easy to swallow. Now, we know as the gospel that, that there's no hope without Christ, that anyone who confesses with the mouth and believes in him can be saved. And so if that's you, then you don't have hope. You can have hope, and you can have hope in this life, and you, can have, you don't have to live as he's saying, but you can have confidence in the gospel through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you can be saved. And if you haven't done that, I would love to, to walk you through that after the service. But it's heavy. If you don't believe it, that's what he is uh, saying. It is, it is heavy. That's why Paul says, hey, here's this need to be consistent in your faith. Here's this need to be con- together in your faith, in your stance. And here's this need uh, that you should be confident because that confidence will show others that what you believe is actually true because you believe it and you live it. And it's much more than just a, a ticket to heaven. It's a way of life. It's the faith of the gospel. That's what he's saying. I'll also say this. If you want the quality to stand for God, you need to have quality time with God. If you want to have the quality to stand for God, then you need to have quality time with God. Get dive in the word. Study his word. Uh, figure out what his word says so that you can be bold, so that you can be confident in his word by, by spending time in it by knowing it. And the last thing this morning is this, the quality of being willing to suffer. The quality of being willing to suffer. That su- you can say it this way, suffering for the right cause will help you stand when it feels like fading. Suffering for the right cause will help you stand when it feels like it'd be easier to fade. It says this, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict in which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul says it's been granted to you. He says there's, there's a gift that God has given you. Right? You love gifts. Salvation was the first one. What's this one? What? I'm ready. He says you will suffer. <laughs> John 16 says it this way. In the world you will have tribulations. In this world, you as a believer will have tribulations. This is twofold. The first one guarantees the second one. If you have a life in Christ, if you live your life in Christ, you will suffer for him. It's it's a life in Christ and the results of a life in Christ. That is what he says is our gift. But Paul sees suffering in ways that we don't like to view it because we think our lives should be picture perfect. We think our lives should just be, uh, just, just go just as we planned. That's how we view life to be. We shouldn't have problems, financial uh, conflicts. We shouldn't have marital issues. We, life should be just grand. That's how we view our life to be. But Paul says, 
if you live for the right reasons, the suffering that you face will be a privilege. If you live for the right reasons. The word granted comes from the word grace. It means to freely, get, to freely give. That God uh, gives us the grace to be saved, but he also gives us the grace to suffer. Sometimes that's hard to handle. That God gives us the grace to be saved, but he also gives you the grace to, to suffer. And that's what he reminds. And Paul says suffering for Christ will actually uh, enable you to stand. That it's actually a gift that will draw you closer to God. That should draw you closer to God. Now you can rebel against it. You can choose to deny it. You can walk another way. But it's a gift that should draw you closer to God. And Paul isn't saying it's a blessing to be persecuted. Well, Paul is saying that when you live your life for Christ, and that is the result of it, it's a blessing. It's a privilege because you're faithful to God. It's not a badge of honor, but it's a blessing because you are faithful to God. And I want to end this morning talking about a couple of values of suffering practically uh, this morning. The first thing is this. When you suffer on earth, it makes you long for heaven. When you suffer on earth, it makes you long for heaven. Paul longed for heaven. He shows us. He'll show us again here in just a minute. Have you ever been working out or, running or preparing to run for a race and the stress and the strain of working out or preparing for the run is worth it because of the results to come? Because of the payoff that it will happen eventually, the diet to help you lose weight, it'll eventually pay itself off. So it's worth it. The endurance, that's what he's saying. And secondly, when you suffer on earth, it produces patience. It produces patience. A guy once came up to a pastor and he said, Pastor, will you pray with me for patience? And right there, the pastor put his arm around him and said, Lord, give this man trials and tribulations. And the man stopped him. Whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I said, patience, not problems. And the pastor quoted Romans 5.3, tribulation worketh patience. Sometimes it works patience. Just trust him. Trust him through it. And the third thing is this. When you suffer on earth, it'll make you sensitive to others who are suffering. You ever had a trial that's been in your life and God brought you through it, whether good or bad, how you expected or how not, but God brought you through it and then you meet somebody who's facing the same thing or has faced the similar thing and it's as if God has sovereignly positioned them there to help you or you to help them. It's the work of God. It makes you see things in a different light because at the end of this passage, uh, the thought, uh, this thought came through Paul. That the things that Paul suffered with, the things that Paul endured, he actually saw Philippi uh, with those same problems. Look at it, it says this, having the same conflict is what it says. It's this, they now have the same conflict. Earlier it was Paul's conflict, but now it's the same conflict. And he says, uh, which you saw in me and now here is in me. Remember Paul's conflict? He says, I know I have a purpose here still, but I long for heaven It'd be much easier to go there because heaven's better than, than, than what I'm presently facing here. And Philippi was beginning to sense the same thing. They were beginning to find some difficulties. They were beginning to be under some stress. They were beginning to be under some persecution. And they had that same mind. It'd be much easier to be there. But I know God has a, but Paul says, you can live a life of joy because God has a purpose for you right here. And so let me ask you this morning, what purpose does God still have you here? For what purpose does God still have breath in your lungs? If there's breath in your lungs, there's a purpose to do. What is it for you? The purpose that God has 
for us. We find here there was consistency, there was unity, there was confidence so that when there was suffering, there was one mind that said, we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. And may that be said here too. That we live consistent, obedient faith, that we live together, faith in the gospel of Christ, that we live confident, that we actually live like we believe this stuff and that we're willing to suffer because of how Christ has changed our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll help us live obedient to you in all things. Lord, I pray that you'll help us live confident. Lord, I pray that you'll help us live together, that we're a body of Christ, and may we live like it. May we have a passion and a desire to pursue you in all things, to live a life of consistency. How? Obedience to your word. Lord, Lord, show me this week even steps to being more obedient to the words in which you have sovereignly given me, which you have organized and orchestrated through your word. Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anything in me that, that I can live in better unity with the people in these seats, Lord, help me live a life of unity. Lord, I pray that you'll help me be bold this week. I hope that, that you'll help me give opportunities to, to live confident and to, and to live out of this bold faith that you call us to. And Lord, if that means suffering, Lord, may you help me endure. May you help us endure. Lord, we are, are so thankful for what you've given us. We're so thankful for life and for salvation. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that does not know you, Lord, may they come to know you. May they start this faith journey. May they start this consistent life. May they start with this ability to be together. May they live a life pursuing you. Lord, if someone doesn't know you, Lord, may today be the day that they confess and believe. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.